You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown, episode 126, is ready to go, and it is a jam-packed episode. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me tonight is the founder of readreaction.com, our partnership breakdown. And that's where you'll find Will Miles. And you can also find him on Twitter at WillMilesSCC. Will, uh, Bill's not joining us tonight. He came down to Florida, moved down to Florida, has been here a week, and he's got the flu already. Yeah, it's like, did he not get a shot or something? <laughs> like, all of a sudden, he's wearing shorts and a t shirt, and he's just, he, he's, ill I, I don't know the, you know I, I thought he was uh <laughs> I, I don't know what to say I, we miss you hope you get hope hope you get better soon bill and uh you know i i guess it's better to to let him sit this one out than have him croak his way through it because it didn't sound like he had much of a voice right you know we had really originally planned to do this episode this week on tuesday night and then bill was like oh, i don't think i can go i feel really bad it's like okay we'll push it to wednesday it's kind of been our normal time anyway uh and he went to the doctor got the flu um confirmed but uh i told him not to eat those fish out of the saint john river he just wouldn't listen to me yeah, i was gonna say is it the flu or is it the flu what was it <laughs> was there a party that we didn't know about a couple of days ago <laughs> it's too much bar- or it might, might be too much fishing and too much barbecue yeah. <laughs> well that's definitely true it sounds like he's been having a good time with both of those so uh yeah so i hope, hope he gets better soon and uh you know we'll, we'll bust his chops again when he gets back on yeah, well, uh, we know we, we got plenty of things to talk about, but uh, you know, we 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 had something planned for this episode, you know, kind of to do with Bill's quarterback research that he's been doing, but it's just been a, a newsy couple of days for the Gators. Oh man, has it been? So there, there's a lot of stuff out there, a lot of stuff going on. Um, excited to talk about it, and you know, up where I am, everybody's talking Eagles, 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 and uh, you know, really sort of spent Sunday night after the NFC Championship game <laughs> watching watching Trey Wallace tweet out about the police scanners up here. So uh, so it's it's weird up here too. So, <laughs> so never a dull moment in Philly, never a dull moment down there in Gainesville either. Uh, that's right, that's right. It was almost it almost. You know, I don't want to get you know um go too far away from what we do here on gators breakdown but it almost got weird here in jacksonville too will with the uh the jaguars and the oh so close uh you know upset of the patriots 
Well, you know, I, I uh, as as a neutral observer in that game, since I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, unfortunately, um, I would say that I do not believe it was pass interference. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and uh, but it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I, th- I think the Oakland Raiders didn't think that it or didn't think that it was an incomplete pass on the Tuck rule. And uh, you know, <laughs> the the Patriots just find a way, man. It's amazing. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. That's right. But as we said, this is Gators Breakdown, so we went, we won't dive too much into the NFL talk. Yeah, you can find our thoughts, a lot of a lot of that thoughts uh on social media, Twitter, all that good stuff. So but remember, you can find all your Gators Breakdown episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. Search on those sites so we'll get the link by following Gators Breakdown on Twitter and on Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Hey, look, when you're on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, you can leave comments there. But look, when you're on iTunes, Google Play, rate and review the show. helps us out. Let's Gator Nation know what they're getting from Gators Breakdown. Uh, and Will, here we go. We'll get straight to it. Mentioned it's a newsy last couple of days for the Gators. So it kind of worked out that we had to push the episode to Wednesday because on Wednesday, we got the news that Jawan Sider, uh, current or now former tight end coach for the Gators, um, going to take a running back coach position at Penn State. Uh, not a huge surprise. Uh, rumblings that he was unhappy about being tight end coach started not long after he was named to that position. Uh, then Andrew Spivey shared uh, last week uh, on Twitter that he interviewed that cider interview with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, so I started asking around and was told uh, that wasn't the only place he had interviewed and that Penn State would be a likely destination. Uh, I was told that uh, signing day was, was the target date and that would be and that cider would probably be going sooner rather than later. Uh, but of course, Florida would have liked to kept him. Uh, keep him until signing day. Now, uh, well, as we as we all saw on Wednesday, that didn't happen. Sider's on his way to Penn State, and Florida must fill his spot for a tenth assistant coach. Now, many saw this coming. Was when Sider wasn't named the running backs coach, and Greg Knox was, and and the worry most people have is replacing Sider's presence on the recruiting trail. Uh, it probably we probably won't hurt uh, too much for the rest of this class. And you know, don't get me wrong, uh, he had an impact on this class, and especially the the running back commits. Uh, Damian Pierce and Clement, you know, early enrollees, signees now, they're already on campus, but his presence will be missed for the future classes. Uh, this doesn't really make me question Dan Mullen, though. I, I said from the start when Knox came in and Sider was, and he was named tight ends coach, I, mean, I said from the start that I, I just believe Dan Mullen, I think he believes he felt more comfortable with Knox at running back coach. Um, you know, because it's his guy. He trusts his guy. It's a guy that understands what to expect from Mullen, knows Mullen's offense, understands the language of the offense. Uh, and our, I think, you know, and Bill put it out on Twitter today, and I think he put it best. Mullen wants his own guys, much like Urban Meyer trusted his own guys when he brought them from Utah. And a few of those guys were here, Mullen, uh, Gonzalez, Hevesy, those guys are here now. Uh, but, you know, it's, I, I get it. Uh, uh, you know, we started hearing rumblings. Last week, and I let you guys know a couple of days ago that it was really picking up steam. Uh, and lo and behold, on Wednesday, it happened. As I said, Florida would have liked to wait till National Signing Day. Uh, but, Will, it is, uh, it is kind of surprising in a way, but not really when you dive deep into it. 
Yeah, you know, I thought Bill made a good point maybe three or four weeks ago when he he expressed some concern that they brought in Knox and they hadn't officially named Sider as a head coach. And they sent out releases for every coach that they had um, officially as the coach. And then it just sort of appeared that Sider was the tight ends coach. There wasn't any really official fanfare around it or anything like that, like there had been. So that might have been a little, might have been the first sign that this wasn't necessarily something that everybody was comfortable with. Um, you know, I, and the other thing was, I guess last week or two weeks ago, I talked about sort of the idea that um, Sider's goal is to be an offensive coordinator and that I thought maybe going to tight ends would give him a little bit more experience so that he, you know, he'd have a little bit of differentiation when he decided to go to offensive coordinator. But I went and I looked back at guys who've become offensive coordinators, and that's really not the path they take. So most guys either start out as a quarterback's coach, a wide receiver coach, or a running back coach, and then and then if they're not the quarterback coach initially, they transition to a quarterback coach and then they become the offensive coordinator. That tends to be the path that, that the offensive coordinators go on. I mean, Matt Canada started as a running back coach, then went to quarterback, then to offensive coordinator. Dan Mullen started as a wide receiver coach, then went to quarterback's coach and then offensive coordinator. McIlwain, wide receiver, quarterback, offensive coordinator. So if you look at, if you say Sider's goal is to be an offensive coordinator, it would make sense that he wouldn't necessarily want to go to tight ends. And that's just not something that I had necessarily looked at beforehand. But when you look at what happens to people who are offensive, who are offensive coordinators, their track record tends to be that they end up at quarterback coach at some point and that starts with being one of those skill position skill position coaches as well yeah and, and yeah he, when you saw mullen first hired and you saw him on the recruiting trail cider was the first guy you saw him go to georgia with and go see damian pierce and and, and justin fields uh when they were still you know recruiting him uh so yes he was an integral part in this last class um, you know, I think last year's class, well, he, he came in after signing day last year. So, you know, he really only got to work one class, but, you know, Mullen saw the importance of him right away uh, in helping get some guys that are already on campus here. Um, you know, and that's one reason some Gator fans are worried about, you know, uh, this move here. It's, it hurts on the field a little bit. Some people like you know, the progression, and I'm one of those two who, who saw the progression of the running game this past season. It was one of the things Florida could hang their hats on, uh, especially with some young guys as well. You know, I think LaMichael Piran took a step. Um, Malik Davis is a true freshman. You know, these are guys that were coming in for, and we'll get into this later, you know, Jordan Scarlett not, not being, being suspended before the game started or right before the season started. But you know, fans liked the progression that they saw from their running back position and also what Sider did on the recruiting trail. So, you know, I, I don't blame fans for feeling like, you know, this is not a step in the right direction for Dan Mullen, but I do caution, you know, the worry here. You don't worry too much right now. I think Dan Mullen – as we mentioned, he wants his guys. He has a guy that he trusts who's worked with him at Mississippi State uh, for a, a couple few seasons now. Uh, and Knox, that running backs coach, Knox, you know, was well thought of enough to be the interim coach uh, after Dan Mullen left for the Mississippi State program. So, you know, during the bowl game when they were playing uh, here in Jacksonville for the Tax Slayer Bowl. So, you know, I, I think Knox's reputation, uh, it, it's – it, you know, if Sider wasn't here to begin with, I think Knox would be looked at in a better light than what he is right now. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things. I don't think it's really, I don't think the right comparison to make is Knox versus Cider. I think the right. comparison to make is Johnson versus Cider because that quarterback coach job is really the job I think that Cider probably wanted because if he gets promoted to quarterback coach, he's one step away from being an offensive coordinator. And then you bring in Brian Johnson. He's already been an offensive coordinator at Houston. You bring him in. He's 30 years old. Cider's nine years older than he is. Like, where's the career progression with Johnson in the way? It just doesn't exist at Florida. And so I understand why he would want to look someplace else, especially after I've looked and seen that quarterback coach is where you go before you become the offensive coordinator. That's just sort of the, the history. But I think Florida fans are right to be critical of, particularly after some of the recruiting that they've had to experience over the last three years, <laughs> that they're right to be concerned about someone who is an elite recruiter leaving. And if you look at even the guys this year who are still on the board, Jacob Copeland, his primary recruiter is Juwan Sider. Nesta Silvera, his primary recruiter is Juwan Sider. Justin Watkins, who just committed, um, sounds like he isn't wavering from that at all, but still, that's his primary recruiter. Coinus Miller, the defensive tackle, um, you know, four-star, he's his primary recruiter is Juwan Sider. So you look at it, and Sider has his has his fingerprints on on a lot of the guys that we're going to talk about tonight. Hey, um, and think about it, South Florida. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. But I mean, you know, again, a lot of it depends on who you bring in. It, it's it's yeah. not as if Sinceri doesn't have experience down there. It's not as if Hevesy and Gonzalez don't have experience down there. And, you know, I talk a lot about process. And so the question is going to be, what's the process in terms of building your staff? What's the process in terms of recruiting? And, if and and you know, Mullen and Gonzalez and Hevesy have proven that they're pretty aggressive and they go out there and close the deal. Maybe that's all you need. So, um you know, I, I think it's a loss. I don't think I don't think we should downplay it. I think anytime you lose an elite recruiter and a guy who a guy who improved a unit on the field as well as much as Florida's running backs improved, I think it's a loss. Um, at the same time, you know, if 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 you if you have good coaches on your staff, there's always going to be a risk that they're going to leave, and you don't want to shy away from having good coaches. So I'll be interested to see who he brings in. It'll be interesting to see whether he goes to the NFL and brings in somebody or whether he brings in somebody who specifically fits that South Florida recruiting um, or whether they just reassign somebody to South Florida and maybe bring in somebody with with ties in South Georgia or Eastern Florida or something like that. So um, I think it's probably a little bit too early to judge what the, uh, you know, what the outcome is, but certainly losing side is a big deal. Right. Uh, and you talk about who's next. Two names that are going to be uh, you know, already ballyhooed about and, and talked about. Uh, I've already just, you know, was told looking at one of these guys, you know, Chad Scott, Larry Scott. Uh, I think you look out for Larry Scott here, but they're the hot names out there for, for replacement. Uh, Chad Scott is ter- currently a tight ends coach in North Carolina. Uh, and Larry Scott was on Tennessee staff with Butch Jones and isn't employed right now. I believe he was the offensive coordinator for uh, Tennessee last season. He has a lot of history in the state of Florida, at South Florida and at Miami, where he's been tight ends coach at both of those schools. He's the most natural choice, in my opinion. But like you said, we'll see where it goes. But Larry Scott, I think, is the you know the top name to look out for. Uh, but also, you know, Chad Scott, North Carolina. We would probably, you know, how would he want to leave a school that he's, you know, you see it a lot, and we saw it with Florida. Uh, last year when Cider and the, the other coaches, Brad Davis, where they were announced after signing day. So, you know, would a coach leave his current program before signing day with two weeks before signing day? Uh, would he leave that program to come to Florida? You know, I, I, that was kind of McElwain's way of going about things. Dan Mullen's a little more cutthroat. So I think if Chad Scott wants to be here, 
and Mulling offers him a job, it's hey, take it now or leave it, or you know, or, or, and we'll move on. Or Larry Scott just may be choice number one to begin with. But uh, I think Larry Scott is the most natural choice right here, given his ties to the state of Florida. No, I certainly think that's right. I, I think the ties to Florida are going to be important. I think that's one of the things you really lose with Cider is is just the the ties that he's got and the relationships that he's got and that sort of stuff. And those are the things that they're going to have to rebuild. But you have to rebuild that anytime you have a transition in a mm-hmm. staff. And so, you know, that's just one of the things that, that Mullen is going to have to deal with. And he's having to deal with that everywhere in the state. Now, obviously it helps that Hevesy and Gonzalez and those guys were at Florida previously. And so they already had some of those relationships, but you know, they were gone for nine years. So it's not, <laughs> I mean, certainly, <laughs> certainly they went down there from time to time, but they were not constantly recruiting elite athletes out of some of those places to Mississippi state. And so, um, all those things need to be rebuilt. I think I think the thing you're really looking for, and and one of the things, and and I don't blame either side for this, but really, you know, Cider came in under McIlwain, and so there's mm-hmm. there's a feeling out period and a building of trust. And if that trust doesn't go both ways, then you know it's probably a be- it's probably that you part ways, even if the people have skills, because you can you can find people with skills. It's really hard to find people that you trust, and so. Um, you know, I, I don't have any inside information that says they don't trust each other, but sort of some of the rumblings and, and things like that indicate that they there's a little bit of discomfort between the two parties. And I think that's okay. And I think the separation is okay. But but it does mean that they have to they have to focus on those relationships probably in South Florida and that they need to bring in somebody who both works well with the staff but also has the recruiting chops that Cider is 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 taking with him. Yeah, and well, we we kind of got lucky because we were going to talk about this anyway, but we didn't know the move was going to happen. But we knew it was a hot topic uh, with Javon Sider and the talk of him uh, maybe leaving Florida. So we had some tweets that was in our way earlier this week, so they still kind of fit here. Uh, at Road Dixon, yeah, man, if Sider dips before the season, that's going to be strike one in most Gator fans' eyes. So. You know, looking at social media, Will, he's right. I think a lot of Gator fans did take this as a hit against Dan Mullen. Well, I mean, I, I think it's a hit because you're losing somebody who's an elite recruiter, and that's been one of the problems over the last three or four <laughs> years. But if you look at the – you know, I, I laid out a couple of weeks ago in an article on Read and Reaction – what the worst case would be. And what I had as a worst case was Justin Watkins and one of the elite offensive linemen. And that put Florida at like 15th yeah. um, overall as a recruiting class. And and they're basically there. I can't imagine that one of the offensive linemen who's there, who's visiting this weekend doesn't commit. In fact, it sounds like Petit Freire is really leaning towards Florida based on everything people are saying. So, um, you know, I, I look at it and I just say, okay, it's one coach. He's a very good coach, and I don't want to downplay that. But at the same time, if your whole program hinges on the running back slash tight end coach, you got bigger problems <laughs> than, than <laughs> losing that one coach. And so, you know, I, I look at it and say, M- Mullen's done a hell of a job since he came in, just in terms of the early signing period was a win. Um, we'll see what he does on National Signing Day. Certainly, he's won over the fan base for the most part. Um, he's got more blue chips in his first year than McIlwain had in his, and it's not even close. It's like nine to four right now, and I think he'll probably land two or three more probably as we go on. So, I, you know, hey, anytime there's bad news, especially after 2017 where it just seemed like everything was bad news, <laughs> I understand why people get apprehensive. But but at the same time, I think there's a need for balance. And and at the end of the day, you know, the fact that Sider's leaving before signing day, I think is an indication that both parties were probably unhappy. You know, it, it sort of has the feel of that Lane Kiffin departure after the first playoff <laughs> game last year where, 
where, you know, they may have said nice things about each other, but you got the feeling Saban just wanted him to go away. And and so, you know, and, and who knows who's actually driving the driving the move at this point. But but the fact that it happens before signing day, I think, is an indication that there was some unhappiness there. And you know what? That's fine. Personalities conflict, especially competitive people and people who don't know each other. And and so, you know, I, I don't think you can judge Mullen on this. I think you can say, hey, this is a significant loss. And we'll see who he fills the position with. Yep. And one more tweet before we move on. Chris Ferguson uh, sent to us, uh, you know, could be underselling Knox as a running back coach, but Sider is a, is an elite recruiter. If he would dip, we would need to find a ace recruiter ASAP. So, like I said, that was sent earlier in this week when we were kind of discussing Sider on uh, Twitter. Uh, so people shared their thoughts as we were going to talk about it anyway. But with the news uh, that Jawan Sider is moving on to Penn State as a running backs coach um, after being named tight ends coach uh, on the Florida staff. So we'll see where Florida goes from here. Uh, but, of course, um, you know, Chad Scott, Larry Scott, a couple names to keep an eye out there. Uh, so, Will, of course, on Tuesday – Running back, Jordan Scarlett, wide receiver, Rick Wells, linebacker, Ventrell Miller, James Houston are back with the Florida Gators football team. Uh, of course, Dan Mullen released a statement. All of our players understand the standards and expectations we have of them to be members of the Florida football program, head coach Dan Mullen said. So, you know, this was, you know, they were part of the uh, nine Florida football players that were suspended indefinitely before the season started with the credit card fraud. They have rejoined all team activities. And as we know, Antonio Callaway, Jordan Smith, Richard Desir Jones, uh, offensive lineman Kadeem Telford, they're no longer no longer enrolled at Florida Callaway's in the draft or will be declaring or did declare for the draft. So he'll be going through all that stuff. Telford, Smith, and Jones announced their intentions to transfer away from the program so will i you know i I look at this time heals all wounds (laughs) uh back in august i didn't really care if any of the suspended players were allowed back i was fine either way after time passed i did find myself pulling uh for the guys that weren't really all that involved to be allowed back on the team uh if dan mullen wanted them back i'm sure he did his due diligence and research on what happened with these players. And it's not like all of them are, are, are coming back as we know some of the mishappenings were worse than others. So as I mentioned, some guys are coming back, some are transferring away. Um, Will, you, you and I went back and forth with others on Twitter uh, after I posted a, a poll. And the poll was, are you glad the four suspended players, Scarlett, Wells, Miller, and Houston, are back with the Gators football program? And out of 1,316 votes, 92% voted yes, that they were glad that the four players were back on the team. So, Will, as I mentioned, we went back and forth with some with some people on social media about it, uh, you know, why we were asking the question. Uh, it, it was a legit question, I think, as, you know, we got plenty of feedback uh, from this. But, you know, you did release an article on uh, readingreaction.com. You know, and I kind of really liked where you went with it. And it was titled, What Our Reaction to the Reinstatement of Suspended Florida Gators Players Says About Us. You know, I kind of laid out how I feel. And, you know, I, I had a change of heart a, a little bit. And I was probably, like I said, time heals all wounds. I don't think the four and seven season had anything to do with it because I don't think these players would have made that much of a difference in the first place. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it is, you know, you. 
their actions weren't as bad as some of the others. And as you said, better than anybody, everybody deserves a second chance. Yeah, I mean, you know, as, as we were talking on, I wasn't even going to write anything about this because, to be honest, I'm just a little bit tired of the whole suspension right. angle. <laughs> and, you know, but I mean, I think it's a legitimate question to ask is, you know, should these guys be reinstated and, and are you happy about it? And the interesting thing is I felt like there were just two camps. There were the people who were like, awesome, we have better linebacker depth. And then there were the people who were like, absolutely not. We need people who represent the university in a way that, uh, you know, we should, we shouldn't give second chances, throw the, throw those bums out. And I just sort of looked at it and I said, you know, I, I don't really care whether they help the program win. I, I care about the players and that they and that they're treated fairly by whatever system that they were put in. And and you know, at the end of the day, these guys were they were charged with felonies. They are not felons. I think that's important to say. And people who are out there calling them felons, that's factually incorrect. They were charged with a felony, but they pleaded and had a pre-trial pre-trial diversion so that that felony will be expunged from their record. Now that doesn't come with no consequences. They have to pay back what they stole. And they also are on probation essentially for 12 months. And there are sometimes other stipulations. They then had to go through the university process of getting reinstated, which involves the student code of conduct, student code of conduct committee. So the university had to allow them to come back. Now you could say, okay, the university has a vested interest in having the players on the field. And that is true. But to change the process on the players after they've done something wrong to me is patently unfair. So if you don't like the process, change the process. But change it after the fact. Don't don't try to don't try to punish these guys a second time for the things that they've already done. Just because you're mad that they, you know, were the first domino to fall in a in a horrible 2017 season, or or you want the university to be represented by people who never do anything wrong, um, you know. But I look back on my life and my time in college, and I'm really glad there weren't iPhones because I can think of multiple incidents where maybe some alcohol was involved and maybe I did some things that might have gotten me in trouble had I been on the football team. And, you know, so like the BB gun incident with Rick Wells, I can easily see myself doing something like that or something like throwing balloons off of Beatty Towers. So water balloons <laughs> off of Beatty Towers to people. So, you know, like, look, 18, 19 year olds screw up. I think this is beyond just a screw up. I mean, I know when you, when you, steal from someone it's wrong you know it's wrong at the same time we have a system that deals with this sort of stuff and the pretrial diversion is specifically for this situation so that you don't ruin people's lives who make a horrible decision and don't do it again and if they do it again they're gonna have real or if they do something illegal again they're gonna have real problems so you know i i just look at it and say they've already been punished they've had to sit out for a year and in a in a profession where the average professional career is like three years long missing a year is a big deal um you know if scarlet had played last year he's getting drafted and if he's getting drafted he's making a couple million bucks this year um but instead he's playing in college and you know he had to sit out a year and that's a year that when he's 32 33 34 in the nfl He's not going to get paid for because he lost that year while he was in college. I think it's a significant penalty. I think they paid their penalty. And, you know, hey, if, if, if the team wants, if the university wants to let him back on, the legal system has him out of jail. And, uh, you know, they've done what they're supposed to do. Yeah. So when I put that poll up, I did ask for some, uh, you know, some of our followers to, to share with their comments. Um, and, you know, they go on and off the field here. So uh, Kyle Walker at the Walker. Coaches are given second chances all the time. Sarkeesian, Loxley at Bama. Uh, now Hugh Freeze is interviewing places not even a year removed from his scandal. 
So we need that linebacker depth badly. I do believe this should be Wells' last chance without a doubt. Repeat offender. Billy Tash at Billy Tash 1. I believe in forgiveness and trust the coaches and administration. It's easy to be mad and see what was reported, but they know the facts and are being paid the big bucks to make these decisions. And Kyle Schenberg, I'm just glad it's resolved. First reaction was no because it was an opportunity to show that no off-field issues will be tolerated, but I also think they deserve a second chance if they can stay out of trouble. A few more, Kevin Kuzma um, at Chips and Queso on, on Twitter. Yes, for three reasons. Talent, uh, the linebackers have promise, uh, especially Ventrell. Scarlet is huge for a young QB. Uh, we're finally done with this. Number two was we're finally done with the saga. And very and number three, very clear, Mullen is serious about winning. Uh, Dustin Woolbright, I'm indifferent. The linebackers help with depth, and the ringleaders of the credit card fraud are gone, so I see no harm if Mullen decides to let them back in. He deserves the benefit of the doubt here. Uh, JHD, Jefferson Devo, mistake on every level. This was not weed or alcohol and much, much worse. Not only an embarrassment to the university, it will continue to be discussed every time these idiots are on the field by announcers. Um, you know, a couple more here. I'm just trying to get uh, both sides uh, of the story here. Timothy Simonson, uh, no, and it pains me to see every argument centered around talent and roster. To play at UF is a huge opportunity. Is it too much to ask those blessed with such opportunity to represent UF with character? So, no, Will, yeah, I expected to see both sides of it. You, know, you and I got both sides of it on social media. But if we do move to own the field, man, this running back depth chart is stacked now. <laughs> you know, and a lot of us had kind of moved on from Jordan Scarlett uh, being part of the Florida Gator football uh, team now. But if you think about it, you have Jordan Scarlett, LaMichael Piran, Adarius Lemons. We don't know how healthy, healthy Malik Davis is. Uh, his knee injury was late in the season against Georgia. So that was early or late October, early November. So, hey, look, if he's fully healthy, then this depth chart's even bigger, uh, even better. Then you have true freshman coming in, Damian Pierce, who I really like a lot. Iverson Clement as well. You have a stat depth chart at running back. And, you know, some people were asking me about my opinion it may, and how it works out and, you know, what can this do for the offense? And, look, you have a young quarterback in Emory Jones. You will have running backs he can lean on. But I also think Jordan Scarlett is still a different running back a little than what Florida has on the roster. He is that, you know, bell cow, rock hard, solid, you know, go get you tough yards kind of back. And, you know, we were hoping he would build on the 2016 season and have a great 2017. He was doing some good things late in the season in 2016. And as you mentioned in your article, I remember that memorable uh, second half against LSU. But I think for Jim Scarlett in the running game here, it also, look, these short yardage situations where Dan Mullen runs his quarterback a lot to get these short, tough yards, look, I think Jordan Scarlett can help in that regard. Dan Mullen didn't have the a stable of running backs like this at Florida the last time he was here. Yes, they were winning big, but the running back position, Kastan Moore, you know, was the leader of that group. You know, they you know, they had put Percy in the backfield a lot to get some some yards out of there. You had Deshaun Wynn uh, as well early in the tenure there. So you know, there wasn't a, a stable of backs Dan Mullen could rely on his, his time at Florida. Now he has that. So I don't think you have to ask your quarterback to run as much in these short yardage situation when you have a running back like Jordan Scarlett behind him. 
Yeah, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I think so. Scarlett, interestingly, has the highest national ranking out of all of those running backs that you mentioned. So 117th nationally when he committed in 2015. He ran for 889 yards in 2016. He has, um, you know, he, he's been sort of hit and miss. He had a couple of big games in, in 2016, but then he also had a couple of games where, you know, he didn't get a whole lot. But you can, you know, is that the offensive line? Is that Scarlett? It's sort of hard to tell. Um, one thing I will say is that Mullen's offense, when you look at it, is a lot more straight ahead. There is a lot less pulling from from guards across the formation. And for somebody like Scarlett, I think that can make a difference because hitting the hole rather than running a stretch play, rather than pulling guys across the formation, you know, especially in college, it's it's difficult to make sure that you execute those plays. It's very complex. And there were a lot of big runs for Florida's offense last year, but they were really inconsistent. And there were a lot of times they got tackled in the backfield. And a lot of that was related to the fact that if they pulled correctly, <laughs> the play hit. But if they didn't pull correctly, it didn't. So Mullen is much more straight ahead. Mullen is much more, I think, simplistic in terms of what he's asking the offensive line to do. Um, that doesn't mean that it's a simple system. It just means that he's asking them to do things that maybe require a little bit less precision, a little bit less practice. Um, and so I think in that capacity, having having Scarlett back there might help. You know, but I'm guessing he's coming in fifth in the death chart. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not thinking they're going to give him his starting job right away. Um, but again, last year, how many running backs did we go through over the course of the year? I mean, you get a high ankle sprain, you get a knee injury, and all of a sudden you're at your fourth or fifth guy. And if Scarlett is your fourth or fifth guy, I think that's a that's a solid thing to a solid thing to have. Um, you know, but it, the other thing is is that we all expected him to break out in 2016, but then we also saw the whole the whole running game just get absolutely absolutely shut down against <laughs> Michigan. And so, you know, was he going to have a big year in 2016? I don't know. I think some of the shifty backs they had back there probably fit with the offensive line and what they were trying to do better than Scarlett did. Yeah. Um, you know, the question then is, is, is Mullen's offense going to fit Scarlett or does it fit one of those shifty backs a little bit better? And, and what's he going to do? I, I think what you'll probably see is a combination of things that Scarlett will probably be on some of the shorter runs. Um, but, you know, he's also struggled pass protection quite a bit. Um, you know, there's a lot of evidence on film that the pass protection and the pass pickup has been an issue. And if you're going to bring in somebody on third and one, one of the problems against Tennessee two years ago was they knew that if Scarlett was on the field, they could just fire in at the running back because they were not throwing the ball. And, um, you know, you can't have that on third and one. There has to be the threat of throwing the ball on third and one. So you got to be able to trust your running back to do that. Hopefully in the time off that he's had, there's been an opportunity to look at film, learn what's going on. Obviously, it's a different offense, but some of the principles of what a running back should do in pass protection are, are, are universal. And so hopefully he, he's picked up some of those things because if he can do pass protection, then all of a sudden it becomes a much bigger deal because he can be on the field second and third down. You know, that just wasn't something that could happen in 2016. Right. Moving on to the other guys, you know, we've mentioned and you mentioned in your article, you don't really know what to expect from those guys. Um, you know, Ventrell Miller, James Houston, haven't been on the field. Rick Wells hasn't been on the field. You know, we'll see uh, where those guys fit in, um, you know, to the rotation. Uh, definitely at linebacker for Miller and Houston, you know, we don't know uh, their talent, you know, not the, you know, both were three stars uh, coming in as recruits. So we'll see how they fit in uh, to the rotation. But I think they'll be in the rotation just because of the numbers at linebackers, you know, moving to a 3-4. I uh, have more opportunity to play guys like that. But, We'll see. I mean, we were talking about how safeties down now be moving into the box and how defensive ends may be moving out to some of the outside linebacker positions. So we'll see how they fit into this uh, new look 
Todd Grantham scheme, but for overall just pure linebacker numbers, uh, that that's a, it's a good sign uh, purely for depth there. Sure. I mean, and I think it, it allows you to do some things maybe on special teams and not necessarily with these guys, right? But you can put your starters on special teams because if your starter gets hurt, then you can bring in these guys as as solid backups if you think that they can do the job. So um, it, they're scholarship players and those scholarships weren't opening up. <laughs> and so, you know, you're only allowed to sign 25 guys and, and these guys, you know, you, if you can't get to 85 scholarships, you know, then they're just, you're just sitting there with 82 scholarship players or whatever it is. So, um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, having a three-star linebacker with, with three years of eligibility is, is a useful thing and, and they're going to find a way to do that. And like I said, I think they deserve to be there. So hopefully I, I know there was an injury, I think to Miller in high school that may have suppressed his star rate rating a little bit. So, uh, we'll see what they can do. Certainly, um, you know, with some of the issues that the linebackers had covering running backs out of the backfield, it'll be interesting to see how these guys do in coverage. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, before we, you know, that was your article on readreaction.com uh, talking about these, um, these players being brought back and how we, you know, how, how we could look at it and how people are looking at it and, you know, what it says uh, about some uh, who are looking at it, whatever way, um, good or bad, but what else you got coming up on the site? Oh man, so so we're I'm going to be looking at there. There have been a couple of uh, there have been a couple studies that have come out recently um, with concussions and CTE. I'm I'm actually reading the articles, so I'm going to sort of let people know what's going on with that. Um, just sort of t- getting a little bit off the beaten path a little bit, but that's what I can do during the off season because because uh, <laughs> there's not a game to talk about specifically. And I'm sure that I'll break down the running backs a little bit, especially now that Scarlett's here. Maybe look at some film and uh, and take a look at what the running backs are going to do. And and particularly, Bill asked a really good question maybe a month or two ago about he's interested to know what Mullen's going to do with with some really some really serious athletes in the backfield not just one guy but you put two or three guys you can rotate them in so what does his offense look like in that capacity and I'll probably take a look at what that looks like good deal good deal so now well let's move on to some hopefully future Gators uh, recruiting of course this time of year official visits are happening Hey, look, in Florida, got a commitment over the weekend. So this was kind of going to be the theme of our episode when we were going to do it on a Tuesday night. But uh, listen, Bill actually helped us out a little bit by getting sick, and we could push it. And we had the Jawan Sider stuff and the and the Jordan Scarlett uh, returning. So recruiting, kind of in a way, while it's at the forefront m- most of the time around this time of year, uh, it kind of got pegged down a little bit. But Florida, Justin Watkins committing to the Gators over the weekend, Claremont from, from Claremont, Florida, four-star wide receiver, 5'11", 172 pounds. According to 24-7 Sports, he is the 116th-ranked player, 17th-ranked wide receiver, and 17th player in the state of Florida. Under Armour All-American had a great week of practice for the Under Armour game. And it looked like he was headed to Alabama or LSU going into that week, but Dan Mullen and company – Swooped in and got him, and he is the third highest recruit for the class of 2018 behind commit Richard Garage and signee quarterback Emory Jones. The commitment gives Florida 15 commits slash signees for the 2018 class, and that still includes Randy Russell, who will no longer be able to play football. Florida moved up to 16th in the, in the 24-7 sports composite ranking. That's good for fifth in the SEC, one spot ahead of Tennessee in both national and SEC class rankings. The four-star commitment does jump Florida up to 10th in average recruit rating, according to 24-7 Sports. 
Well, we've harped on it for a while. This is another blue chip pro blue chip prospect for Dan Mullen, a four-star wide receiver, a near top 100 player. Uh, this gives Mullen another four stars to make that nine in this class right now. So no five-star in the class. And it looks like Petit Freer at uh, the offensive lineman is the best shot at that. But this is a commit that signals the, the right type and trend in the right direction for this coaching staff. Oh, sure. I mean, so it's Mullen's ninth blue chip recruit. If, if you, if you figure garage is going to maintain his commitment, yep. um, which again is, is getting close to the, to the Meyer must champion Zook days and their transition classes. Um, he's five foot 11, 172 pounds. So he's not a big guy outside at receiver by any means, but again, 113th ranked he's 21st positionally. There's a lot of wide receivers this year. Um, <laughs> But, yeah. <laughs> but you know, what you see when you look at his tape is he got the ball in the backfield a lot. There was a lot of handoffs to him. Um, so he's familiar. And, and, and people, I think there have been some articles talking about him in a Percy Harvin type of role. That's what they mean is that he got a lot of balls in the backfield. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's as talented as Harvin, but I think he's a talented player. I think where you're going to see it right away is I would imagine they're going to put him back on, on kickoff returns and maybe punt returns as well. He looks like he's got some some skills in that area. Um, certainly anybody who remembers Brandon James back, back yeah. in the Urban Meyer days remembers the priority that they put on there. And James didn't do anything, didn't do much other than kickoff returns and punt returns, but he was a huge part of those teams winning just because of the field position that he set them up set him up with and considering that I'm not sure we pulled a kickoff return past like the 27 yard line all year last year. I, I think having somebody back there just in that capacity is a big deal. So that's what I'd look for first from Watkins. Um, you know, I, I was, a, I'm a little bit concerned that he hasn't had a ton. Like when you look at his highlight tapes, there are not a ton of downfield passes in his direction. You can find a couple of them, but it's a lot of bubble screens. It's a lot of handoffs in the backfield, things like that. But a lot of that is the offense that was being run. And, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who yells all the time when you don't get the ball to your skill players. Yep. So you, you put him in a position where you can get the ball to him. I can't, I can't be too hard on the coach there in the <laughs> high school because he's actually getting the ball to his skill players, which, you know, I know novel concept. But uh, um, anyway, I, so anytime you can bring in anybody who's top 300 ranked, you're, you're, you're really doing something from a recruiting standpoint. The fact that he's – 113th, you know, is a big deal. And and the more guys you bring in, I mean, so there's nine blue chips thus far, probably only four or five of them are going to be major contributors. But if you bring in four of them, you're probably only getting two who are major contributors. The fact that he's brought in nine means you can get four or five and you do that over three or four classes. And all of a sudden you've got a starting 22 of really, really solid starters. So, um, and I'm anticipating, or at least if the, if the trend holds as far as what the previous Florida coaches have done other than McIlwain is that he's going to bring in 18, 19 blue chips next year. And again, you'll get 10 starters out of that or something like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's impressive to be able to bring these guys in this late in the game. One of the things I think is really impressive is the number of people they have on official visits. I mean, yeah. there were five last week. There's six coming up this week. And then there's another six coming up the week before the uh, before the final, before signing day. So that many official visits um, I think is is a good sign. But I also think it probably maybe gets our hopes up in terms of how many yeah, people right. I can sign. There's some overlap there. And, you know, so Watkins committing probably impacts somebody like Jacob Copeland. Um, you know, you look at Garage and Petit Freire, that starts to impact Barnes. So I, I think there's going to be some mixing and matching, and, and they're not going to get everybody. But the fact that they've got all those guys coming, I think means they're going to get somebody at those positions of need, and, and that's a big deal. 
Right. You know, and it's, you know, Watkins, we'll see how he fits into the uh, wide receiver role. But he, as you mentioned, he is a guy you could put on the field in many places. And, go, and I went back to Under Armour Week to kind of, you know, find some research about him. And Alan True of the 24 7 Sports Network uh, had a quote on the wide receiver. Watkins has been one of the best playmakers at Under Armour practices this week. So even if you look at him, ideal fit seems to be in the slot wide receiver role, uh, but he can take handoffs if need be, as you were mentioning. Like, well, look, when we said the Percy Harvin role, we don't mean be as good as Percy Harvin, but maybe you like that. There will, I don't, there would never be another Percy Harvin. Uh, probably one of my favorite players, favorite playmakers ever at Florida and the impact that he made. Uh, I, I don't think uh, this can be matched. So, but you know, you just as a guy, you can see take handoffs uh, and be a slasher type in the mold of what you have on the roster now. Dre Massey, maybe Kadarius Tony. You know, do these guys keep him from making an impact early? Maybe you know we'll kind of see. Uh, but I like the pickup. Uh, going back and watching some of the Under Armour practice highlights that you can find out there. He runs good routes, shows good hands, hand placement, catching the ball. That's one thing that stood out to me. And what I liked most was the route running, whether it be getting off the line uh, or getting in and out of breaks. I like what I saw there. So I think it's a nice pickup. As we mentioned, one of the the highest ranked players uh, in this Florida class right now. Uh, So Dan Mullins uh, getting some of the playmakers in there and another guy, Will, that Florida is trending for uh, right now. We mentioned it in last week's podcast, but Seems to be trending for even more now as cornerback Noah Boykin. Gators got him on campus, and ever since then, the word has been the visit went pretty well. Crystal balls from 24-7 are are, are flying in, calling for the flip. Uh, He's currently committed to Maryland, but a lot of people are calling for that flip to happen. Sources from Maryland are saying it's only a matter of time before he flips. Uh, Looks to be announcing on National Signing Day, but uh, did say coaches will know beforehand. Uh, Taller corner at 6'2". 170 pounds, so he has a frame to build on, uh, become a bigger player in the secondary. Uh, if he can add necessary weight, they can move him around, be a very versatile player in the secondary. Um, and the kind of report about him is he tracks the ball well, breaks on it quickly, good speed to keep up with opposing wide receivers. Uh, he'd be another four-star to add to this class for Dan Mullen, ranked uh, 352 recruit, uh, 352nd recruit in the nation. And look, Florida's had good results out of that DMV area before with players Joe Hayden, Derek Harvey. So hopefully Boykin can be that type of impact player from the same region. Yeah, you certainly hope so. I, I think what you said there earlier about him being 6'2 is really interesting because if you look at if you look at Trey Dean, if you look at Amari Bernie, those sorts of guys in the backfield, clearly Mullen is putting an emphasis on, and I know Bernie was committed before uh, before Mullen came in, but Gene, Dean was not. But clearly he's putting he's putting an emphasis on guys who are tall, guys who are rangy, and guys that he can switch. And you know, we sort of talked about Marco Wilson and CJ Henderson being point guards and then needing power forwards. Well, this guy's a power forward, and that's sort of what they're going for. Um, He is a four-star. He's a low-ranked four-star as far as four-stars go, so 353rd nationally. Um, For comparison, on the 24-7, Quincy Wilson was a three-star, but he was 360. So, again, Quincy Wilson's a really good player, and that's what he could turn into. But but this isn't a top 300 player. It's not a top 100 player. He's 353. Um, So probably some time will be needed to develop. I don't know that you're going to see him come in immediately, pay dividends. But, again, a blue-chip prospect, and like we talked about earlier you know one out of two of those guys usually turns into a starter the more you have the better off you are moving forward just because of the numbers 
Absolutely, absolutely. And going back to last week to kind of finish that up, also uh, watch out for Lithonia, Georgia's uh, and former Georgia commit, Caleb Tanner, big-time four-star, true defensive end target for Todd Grantham. Uh, Gators are setting themselves up nice here by selling him out. He'll fit into Todd Grantham's defense. FSU recently offered him, uh, but Florida will also be fending off Nebraska and Auburn. So, you know, the way Georgia was recruiting, uh, there were some rumors it was it was about grades of why he may not get there, but that seems to be uh, put to rest a little bit. If he has, if he can keep his grades up this semester, he'll be a, he'll be a, be able to get into Florida, be able to get into college uh, there. You know, Florida's had a history also. If they don't think you can qualify, you're probably not getting a visit in the first place. So I think Florida felt Bobby feels pretty confident uh, if he can live up to his end in the bargain, they can get him in here. Uh, but a big-time four-star true defensive end, and I think Florida just needs that uh, in this defense, the defensive end they can count on. Yeah, when I was looking at the tape of the five guys who were the official visitors last week, just sort of their highlight packages, the two guys who stood out to me, the first one was Tanner, um, just really as a situational pass rusher. He's really tall and rangy. He reminded me a lot of Alex McAllister. That was sort of what I was yeah. that was sort of what I was seeing when I was seeing him come off of the edge. Whether he'll be able to support the run or not the way you need to will be the question. But again, you bring him in on third and twelve and you don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and he clearly showed an ability to be able to chase down a screen and things like that. Where, where I would say that some of the defensive ends struggled last year. Florida was really susceptible to screens. Some of that was the linebackers, but I think some of that was some gap integrity up front as well. Um, and then the other guy who really stood out was Nesta Silvera. Um, and I, I don't know exactly what the status is of him, but man, that guy, um, I saw him running after a wide receiver on a screen pass, just like Hurst did against Florida last year from <laughs> Michigan. And, and, you know, We'll see. It sounds like he's probably going to stick with Miami from everything that I've heard. But mm-hmm. man, if, if Mullen can pull him, that's going to be a big deal. I mean, I talked last week about how I think defensive line is a, is a real area of need for the team. But Silvera looks special. He popped on the tape. And now we'll move forward to this coming up weekend. Uh, Will, as you uh, alluded to, Florida's got some big guys coming up. Hey, look, and we really discussed it, the trenches last week, and that's pretty much what this uh, upcoming weekend is about. The offensive line prospects, Nicholas Petit-Friar, Richard Garage. We'll see what happens with William Barnes and Ed Montalus. Um, they were supposed to visit. Uh, we'll kind of see how that goes. There's some thought out there now that they may not visit this weekend. Did they both look like they're trending for North Carolina right now, but they're both coming off an Ole Miss visit. But North Carolina does seem to be the team to beat. Uh, right now, uh, if you don't like your chances, if they don't visit Florida uh, there. So I think North Carolina is probably where Barnes and Montalus are leaning. That makes Nicholas Petit-Friere and Richard Garage even more so uh, of the targets that Dan Mullen must get. Petit-Friere was in Alabama last weekend. Uh, got to take in their national championship celebration. So I'm sure that left an impression. Also, he has a relationship with Ohio State defensive coordinator Greg Schiano. Uh, they will get his last visit. Uh, Schiano may leave for the NFL, but when will that happen is a question that could come into play here, and when will it affect uh, Petit Friere? You know, if it's after National Signing Day, then you know that may not matter. He may have already talked Petit Friere into going to Ohio State. Uh, but we'll see. I think Florida is in really good shape here, but uh, Petit Friere doesn't really share a lot of uh, his recruitment. 
Mirage currently committed to the Gators. Uh, Florida will try to stop any momentum made by Clemson. That's the team to watch here. Hopefully he likes to stay close to home and, and makes that recruitment easier. Uh, but going head-to-head with Clemson right now, Will, uh, gives me uh, not so much confidence. <laughs> that's, the, that's the team you don't really want to go head-to-head with right now. Uh, but, you know, I think him already being committed to Florida, they can get him on uh, – if they can nail his visit out of the park this weekend, stop the momentum Clemson has, uh, I really – uh, I really like where Florida uh, could go if they could somehow pull in Petit Freire and Garage together. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, people who are apprehensive about Cider leaving, I think this is where Hevesy can earn his keep as the <laughs> sure. uh, as yeah. as the assistant coach, right? Like you bring He's in, in Hawaii those guys. right now, by the way, or he was. <laughs> I saw on Twitter Hevesy was in Hawaii. So. <laughs> well, he better be back by Friday. That's all I got to say. <laughs> but uh, you know, Garage is a really good player. I mean, he's four star, but he's eighty seventh ranked nationally, so that's a real high level blue chip player. And then obviously Petit Freire. I mean, he's a five star, eighth ranked overall in the country. So um, and Barnes is four is a four star, fifty second ranked. So I don't think you're going to pull in all three. It sounds like Barnes and Montalus are sort of a package deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and so I'm wondering whether Florida knows something about Garage and Petit Freire. And that maybe was why the official visit isn't happening. Again, I don't have any inside information, but Barnes has really sort of been interested in Florida all along. And the fact that he's just not even taking an official visit does make me wonder whether they essentially told him, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to have a spot to take Montalus. I, I don't know. Um, but that, that could be a conceivable scenario. But I think, you know, like Bill your, said this like last week. I like where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hoping that's the case at least. But, you know, Bill said this last week. I, I think, one of the one of the good things is so i think there's nine slots left to sign to sign players and if you look at that you don't have to fill all nine slots and you can see that this year with the transfers that they brought in with grimes and van jefferson that they're counting those guys to this year's class well you can count them to last year's class as well except they didn't have any open slots from last year's class so you don't necessarily want to settle for a bunch of three star guys mm-hmm. if you think you can bring in better guys as transfers if you think you can bring in early enrollees that you can count towards this class coming up for the 2019 class. So I, I think I think really what it boils down to is they've got a lot of elite guys on the board. If they get those guys, they're going to take them. I don't necessarily know that they're going to take the guys who are, who are lower down on the depth chart. And so I think... I think you can deem this a success if one of these tackles comes. I think if either Petit Frere or Garage, I think both of those guys are high-level tackles. And if either one of them comes to Florida, I think you can say it's a win, particularly in a transition year. You bring them both, it's really a home run. I mean, if you set up your right tackle and left tackle for the next four years, um, the only thing I'll say is that they're both relatively small. Yeah. The Petit Frere, 6'6", 272. So obviously not small from a from a <laughs> size standpoint, but and, and Garage is 6'5", 271. So those guys are going to have to put on some weight before they're really ready, I think, to be high-level tackles in the SEC. Absolutely. So, so, you know, like I said, I watched the Under Armour game with Petit Frere. Nobody was getting around him, and these were these were high-level high-level high school prospects. And so I imagine he'll he'll uh, he'll accord he'll he'll play himself pretty well when he's when he's playing in the SEC next year. But but they're going to have to get a little bit bigger. Uh, that is one thing that Barnes has going for him. He's six four three twenty five, so he's uh, he's large enough to <laughs> to hold his own right now. But yeah, yeah, ho- hopefully that's yeah. hopefully that's what's going on. I, I think if they bring home one of these guys, though, that can be seen as a win. And if they bring home two, that's a really big deal. Yeah, you know, we could and people if they missed last week's episode when we really talked about the trenches and you know I, I dove into the weights that Mullen had at Florida when they had success and and the lines that he had at Mississippi State. Yeah, these guys need to be in 
probably, I mean, need to be over that 300 pound range, uh, you know, to, for what we've seen Dan Mullen uh, play with and, and like in the past. So yeah, they need to hit that 300 pound mark, but you know, come in, get some strength and tr- get some strength training. Uh, What's that? Training. Um, yeah, I don't know. We've been kind of missing that, hadn't we? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think uh, I, I think I'll I'll repeat what I said about cider. Like you know, if if one recruit not coming to your program makes or breaks your program, you've got issues within your program, <laughs> Already, yeah. especially especially in a transition year. And so, um, you know, recruiting is really important. But I don't think it's going to be. I don't think this recruiting class is going to be critical for 2018 success. This recruiting class is going to be critical for 2019, 2020, 2021. And so, you know, there will be ways to make up a miss here or there. And we're just going to. Have, I, the idea that he's bringing in 16 blue chip guys. I mean, if he does, he's a miracle worker. And that also goes into your point, Will, about not reaching for prospects that may not fit, because now you can go in future classes and you know, and, and make up for that difference. You don't want to, you know, go reach for, especially in the first class transition, you go reach for, you know, three stars that just may not fit your system um, and, and go that route. They can put you behind the eight ball uh, moving forward. Yeah. Well, I mean, and remember he's already got the two, three star uh, Blythe and Noah Banks yeah. at, at tackle who are, who are coming in as well. So it's not as if the offensive line isn't going to have some depth. The question is, can you bring elite talent in and then maybe move those three star tackles into guard? Right. Um, and, and now you've got, now, now you've got some pretty high level three star talent on the inside, really high level four and five star talent on the outside, and you're starting to look like a team that's going to be able to run the ball just based on physical talent. And then we've also, and then we've seen that Mullen, when he's got the, when he even when he doesn't have the horses, can can have a successful offense. I think you give him elite talent, and, and we've seen what he can do. We saw <laughs> it in, in 2006, 2007, and 2008. So, absolutely. And also, before we uh, get. Um, uh, off of here about this coming up weekend. Uh, looks like the Gators will get Andrew Chatfield on campus this weekend. Defensive lineman. Father's in real good shape when he decommitted from Ohio State in the fall. That was before the coaching change and before the the you know McElwain and Florida parted ways. New staff has stayed on him. Looks like they're going to get him to visit. Um, so uh, he's also but this weekend uh, for Florida he would be rounding out visiting the Big Three. State would be another big time defensive lineman pickup. Uh, they can get him on campus here. Uh, yeah, he was committed to Ohio State, and the people were really, really confident that Florida was going to land him uh, before this coaching change. So we'll see where he fits in. I, I think it would you know send a, another message about getting a, another high level you know four star uh, blue chip on the roster, and we I don't think we can stress that enough. Oh yeah, well, and and we talked last week about having the, uh, you know, that that at least I think the defensive line and the linebackers and the front seven really is where they need to focus more than anything because if you look at successful defenses in college football, that's where they emphasize they emphasize the defensive line and in a three four system, you know, one of those guys is a linebacker who who's down there up front. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's a critical thing to have those guys in. I think it's a critical thing to fill a spot on the line if it's Silvera, mm-hmm. if it if it if it's Tanner. If it's Chatfield, like filling a spot on the line allows you to do things with CC Jefferson and Antonius Clayton that maybe you wouldn't be able to do if they have to fill the linebacker role and sort of be, they're going to be a hybrid in some capacity, but you know, 
there are some interchangeable parts in there because you're switching from the four three to the three four, and so if you can bring in some elite talent to be there, then you can shift those guys around even more. Yep, yep. Uh, Will, I was asked this on the Bill King show, and I'll, I'll kind of share it to you. He he asked me. I'm on his radio show every Tuesday morning uh, out of Nashville. What we've seen so far. What's the biggest difference you've seen between Dan Mullen and Jim McElwain on the recruiting trail? And I didn't mean to surprise you with that question there, but <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I, I'd say the biggest difference I've seen is the enthusiasm from the even the commits that probably aren't going to come to Florida. Mm-hmm. That, that that a lot of these guys aren't going to come, but it feels like they are they're impressed and that they're they're taking pictures and that they're doing all sorts of stuff. And the thing and Quite it, makes honestly, you feel, it makes you feel like if they if, if the staff had enough time, they could get those guys. Well, and they're top hundred guys. I mean, you know, we, yeah. we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The guys who are all on the list are, you know, are you know, Coinus Miller, maybe he doesn't come to Florida, but that guy is 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 a really highly ranked recruit. Um, Sertain, who they're probably not gonna get, but again, the fifth overall, Elijah Griffin, who they're not gonna get, but still 31st, Barnes is 46th, Copeland 54th, um, Quay Walker 65th. So again, they're not getting these guys necessarily, but they are in the door and they are having conversations. And so that makes me more confident than in 2019, they will have gotten in the door a year earlier and we'll be able to convert more of those guys into, into commits rather than just having them consider Florida. And so I think this is always the challenge in a transition class is, you know, you, you, you know, you're limited in terms of your ability to build a relationship. I don't blame the kids who are like, Hey, you know, I've been talking to Nick Saban for the last three years. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I haven't talked to you at all. Um, obviously some of the relationships that they had at Mississippi state, I think have caused or have, have produced some of the results that they've seen. But the fact that they're getting in the door to me is probably the biggest difference that I've seen. It just didn't feel like McElwain was getting in the door, um, with, with some of these big time recruits. Well, that's pretty cool. That's pretty much my answer too. So, <laughs> so hope, did, Dave, hope. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and then Bill also kind of surprised me with this one, um, you know, kind of comparing Mullen to Willie Taggart, uh, out there. Uh, at FSU, and you know, I kind of followed that up with if it really if it makes sense, Taggart. But you know, after taking a little while to get his staff together, in a way, is having to fight more with the aftermath of Jimbo Fisher leaving than what Mullen had to deal with after McElwain. Because uh, you know, there were some rumors and some a lot of talk out there from the FSU side that. You know, Jimbo Fisher wasn't really recruiting for the last month of the season and in the last month of his tenure at FSU. So, you know, with 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 Taggart taking a while to get his staff together and combo that with Fisher not really taking recruiting seriously the last month of his tenure, you know, it seems like Mullen has less, you know, resistance on the recruiting trail than what FSU and Taggart's facing. No, I, I think that's true. I, I think, um, I, I think there, I think the loyalty stuff with Taggart, I think that matters in some capacity. I think there are guys who are, who you know, 
<laughs> the Taggart bot on Twitter. Who's tweeted the same thing for from every school he's been at at the exact same date the last three years. I mean, now he's just screwing with us. I like whoever's running that account now because it's enjoyable. But, you know, I, I think I, I wrote a big piece before I left SEC country on Taggart versus Mullen. And when you looked at the record, there wasn't really anything to say, hey, Taggart's a slam dunk. I mean, I don't think he's bad, but I, I looked at it and was like, you know, Florida won this one. And, and I think you're seeing that on the trail, and I think you're you're seeing that uh, that Mullen has a plan. Mullen has nine years of head coaching experience in an area where where it's hard to win. And Taggart has jumped from program to program to program. And at Western Kentucky, there weren't many expectations. At South Florida, there weren't many expectations. And to be honest, in his first year at Oregon, there weren't that many expectations. Now he's at Florida State and there's expectations. And Mullen walked off that plane chomping, knowing that he was going to be held accountable and knowing that he was going to have to have elite recruits in there. And, you know, we'll see what Taggart can do. I know Bill was really impressed with him, um, you know, as potentially a Florida hire. So this is going to be a fascinating experiment because, you know, he conceivably could have have ended up a Gator um, and they, when uh, Strickland decided to go with Mullen. But the more I looked into his record, the less impressed I've been. And, and to be honest, there's some Florida State fans right now who aren't real impressed with some of the strategies that they've used in terms of bringing people on for official visits and, and different things like that. So I don't think this is new. I think whenever you know, whenever one program has a coach who's dominating on the recruiting trail, the other two have to play catch up. And, and you know, we saw that Jimbo Fisher was just was beating Florida like a drum on the recruiting trail and it translated on the field while McElwain was head coach. And, and uh, you know, Muschamp and, and Jimbo, I think they're there started to be a switch towards the end there. Um, Muschamp's classes started to get worse towards the end. A lot of that because of the four four and eight year. So I think you see that. I mean, I think there's always going to be there's always going to be a balance. The the I think it was a really unique thing when Florida and Florida State were both good for such an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm wondering whether we took that for granted and just there's 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 enough guys in the state probably to sustain all three programs. But do you always have an elite coach at each of those three institutions? And you know, I, I think that's just going to be a difficult thing to a, a difficult ask. Before you talk, listen. Before you react, think. Before you criticize, wait. Before you pray, forgive. Before you quit, try. Go Bulls. Go Ducks. Go Knowles. <laughs> I, am, I am Taggart Butt. I don't know, man. That, you know, that's, I guess that would be the other thing that I would say is a big difference is that is that Mullen gets it. Yeah. So the, the fan base has has galvanized around him because he walked off the plane doing the Gator Chomp because he looked like he wanted to be there because he got off saying, "Hey, these are the standards and expectations of the program. Relentless effort, and you're going to get that from me." And and that was such a departure from the stuff that they had heard before, where it was, you know, we put together a good plan and the players didn't execute it, is what we heard throughout the year, and and. To be honest, that wasn't acceptable from a head coach, and you and I lit him up pretty good for that sort of thing. <laughs> but now you're seeing that on now you're seeing that on the other side. I mean, to come out and have this whole Taggart bot stuff going on, I mean, it's amusing to me. But if I was a Florida State fan, even if it's a joke, I wouldn't think it's very funny. I'd think it's funny if you had a top five recruiting class, but but, but when when you're when you're making offers to to guys that Florida's had an offer out to for two, three, mm-hmm. four months now. That's a bad look. And so to have that on Twitter, that's a bad look. And, you know, (laughs) hey, Taggart may end up being a dynamic recruiter and he may do a bang up job at Florida State. But but 
there's a little bit of tone deafness there that I'd be concerned about if I was a fan in Tallahassee. Yeah, I think yeah, I think so. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, you know, they're not too far. I think they're right around twenty third or something in recruiting. So, you know, we'll see where that goes. Um, uh, but you know, I think he is fighting uh, behind the eight ball there uh, with, what, with what was left uh, after Jimbo. So, Will, man, that was a that was a jam packed episode. Hey, man, like, <laughs> like we said at the start, never a dull moment. No, um, th- this program keeps us on our toes no matter what's going on. So it, it's it's fun to follow. Like I said, it's nice to have hope. I mean, that, that that's the thing, right, is that, is that we're talking about top 100 guys who conceivably could be Florida Gators two weeks before signing day. And that's not something we've been talking about the last couple of years. Right. You know, a lot of people ask, how can you talk about Florida football every week? It's not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got we got fans asking for three a week. They just don't, uh, yeah. they just don't realize we'd like to not get divorces. So. That, is, that is right. That is right. If I can make this my full time job, I believe me, I would do it. So. <laughs> well, we're working on that. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll the, yeah. the fans can help us. Can just spread the spread the yeah. word so Dave yeah. can do this full time. <laughs> yeah, spread the word. Spread the word. Big things are coming. Big things are coming. But uh, you know, uh, it is what it is right now. So uh, remember. You can get all your Gators Breakdown episodes, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. Just search at Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook. Get all the links there. Uh, and you can find Will on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site, readandreaction.com. You can find the thoughts there. Our other co-host, Bill Sykes, you can find him on Twitter at RealBSykes. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore Will, it was fun. Yeah, man, it was. So feel better, Bill. Hope we have you back next week. And, uh, you know, certainly everybody can give him a hard time on Twitter for missing this one. <laughs> Absolutely. Go do it. Good one now. All right, guys. Let's go out of there. Thanks for listening to Get It Breakdown. Right